Hello friends, it's Tuesday and our very first AM to DM as co-hosts. So exciting and we have a great show for you. The European Union had its elections this weekend and it was a little crazy. Facebook has a video up of Nancy Pelosi, but it's not real. And Patti Smith is here, Alex's personal icon and I can't wait to watch that. Oh, I am ready to go and we'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford. You're watching AM to DM, and it's our first show. It's insane. Can you, we made it. We're here. We have arrived. Are you ready for us to be here? Because I am. I mean, that is a great question. How excited are you to be out I here? I am so excited. You know, the past few weeks, we've been here with the team, getting to know everyone. I moved from L.A. on a drop of a dime, but I'm so happy to be here, and it just feels so right, and it's, I'm so excited to be standing next to you. I am so excited to be standing next to you. For those who don't know, Zach and I have run in some of the same circles. Yes for a while, and I've long admired your work. And you too. You know, we were on a show, you've interviewed me on a show before, and we've done a lot of other things together, so now we get to hold hands every yes, day. Yes, yes. to you on Twitter. Yes, well listen, did you do anything special to prep for this morning? I stopped using Walnut Scrub. Twitter, <laughs> I did. Yashar specifically. I was uh, shamed last week with Isaac Fitzgerald, who, you know, uses was it bath? Bath soap? I think it was like some kind of hand soap. We're never going to stop talking about it. something that we don't agree with, we do not support in this house. But I did get dragged for using walnut scrub, so I've changed it to a moisturizing mask. So thank you, Twitter. What I'm about pleased. you? I, well, I'm pleased to see that you have switched up the skincare routine. You know, I listened to some of my favorite pump-up jams this morning. I listened to a little bit of Lizzo, some mm. Ariana Grande, the Spice okay. Girls, threw a little share in the mix. You know, they kind of make me feel the like a, a woman who is ready to take on the day. So here yes. I am. I, I love that. I did turn on the new Homecoming album by Beyonce. Ooh, that's I a good specifically one. started Diva. And not that I am a diva, but it just has so much energy. I think there's something about listening to music like this from these women really changing the world that gets you ready to come into the set yes, every day. Yes, yes. Well, can I talk about one more thing yes, before we course, get to course, some stories from yes. the You mentioned the set, and I would just like to draw your attention to our new set dressing that I feel pretty fantastic about. It's really gay, if you can't <laughs> Like, I would take this off. It says Queer Voices, which is incredible. It's about Pride Month. But, you know, I'm feeling really in tune with the set right now. I am, too. You can't see over here there is a wig with this cute little hat. It'll probably be coming off at some point. I'll probably be putting it on my head. We'll be walking around with this megaphone. They will just have to reel us it. in. I love it. I love it. But speaking of megaphones, Twitter had a lot of megaphones this weekend talking about popsicles. We have a tweet from Lucy saying, it's dead summer. Your mom comes home from the store with these. What do you call these? And what color is the best color? David Packer tweeted, 20 zooper dupers almost look quite sad and lonely. It's not summer if your freezer doesn't look like this. Okay, so I agree that one's freezer should look like that, especially if you have children. But what is a zooper duper? What is a zooper duper? This is a term I had not heard until no. reading these no. tweets. In my world, these will forever be called popsicles. <laughs> no, they're not called popsicles at all. <laughs> what do you call them? A popsicle is something with a stick in it. This is, you hold this. This is called a, an icy or a freezy or something. Or this something. A, or something, but it's not called a popsicle. <laughs> okay, well, we heard some other terms thrown around. Um, one we heard was otter pops. Which I guess is because you hold it like an otter. When he, you know when an otter swims down the, the river? Yes, they and, they're holding, and they're their holding their special frozen eating, 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 treat. Eating. But, why, but they don't eat frozen <laughs> They don't eat frozen things. I mean, I hope that there's at least one thing we, we can agree on, which is the color. My favorite is red. Red is supreme. I'm sorry. It great. is delicious. It may not be good for you, but it's great for you. It's great to eat, actually. <laughs> so let's take it to the timeline. What are these? What are you calling them? Are you calling them popsicles, ices, otter pops? And is red truly the ultimate flavor? Yes, it is. Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Tweet me using the hashtag, it's called a popsicle, and I do not <laughs> want to hear otherwise. Let it go, Alex. Well, now on to some other more controversial news from the UK. The election results are in, and we have some questions. Nigel Farage tweeted, Never before in British politics has a party just six weeks old won a national election. If Britain does not leave the EU on October 31st, these results will be repeated at a general election. History has been made. This is just the beginning. Stephen McGann tweeted, EU election results summary. Your ma and pa hate you because you don't visit often enough. So they voted for you to live in a Mad Max-style dystopia with the grandkids after they've snuffed it. BuzzFeed reporter Mark DiStefano joins us now from London to unpack all of this. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, guys. How are you? Great. Thrilled that you are joining us, but let's jump right into it. What happened this weekend? Who won and who lost? Yeah, well, the first thing that's really important is to remember these are the European elections. So they weren't national elections fought on national issues per se. This was about each country in the European Union 
voting on who to send as MEPs, members of the European Parliament, to Brussels to represent national interests. So as you flagged there, Nigel Farage, who is the leader of the new Brexit party, had an absolutely stonking win. So he took his party to 32.5% of the vote, which is pretty crazy considering it's a very new party, only a few weeks old. And we saw right across Europe, kind of this fragmentation. So previously, you would see parties on the centre-right on the spectrum and the centre-left would get huge vote shares. What we saw these times is people are running to the further right and further left. So populists on the right, the far right in quite a few uh, countries. And on the left, we even saw, um, you know, Greens parties actually getting huge vote shares in quite a few countries. So there was this fragmentation which kind of represents how we all feel right now where people are getting starting to feel really worried um, and they're sort of, I guess, that's coming out in the way people are voting. So, Mark, you mentioned fragmentation, but Farage did win. What does his what does this mean for the future of Brexit, since his party is the party of Brexit, and Brexit is a very controversial topic across all these divisions? Yeah, it's kind of crazy because the thing to remember is Brexit actually hasn't happened yet because it was voted for in 2016. And because the Conservatives in the UK are the party of government and they've been trying to negotiate a Brexit deal, which will pass the parliament, and they haven't been able to do that, we've actually seen Nigel Farage sort of surge through on the right of uh, politics here in the UK. His win kind of means we've got a lot more uncertainty in the next couple of months. And you may have heard that uh, Theresa May, the Prime Minister, resigned last Friday. So we've got a new party in politics who has taken a loss of the pro-Leave, pro-Brexit vote away from the Conservatives. And we've got the Conservatives who now need to elect a new leader who will then become a Prime Minister who then has to then try to get a Brexit deal with Brussels, with the European Union, and get that through Parliament. And while that continues to go, Nigel Farage sort of exists as like the main character of Brexit. And he's kind of done that. And in a crazy way, he's become the sort of standard bearer um, of this um, of this huge national political issue that's sort of seeping out into every little cultural and historical context here. So, yeah, it's it's kind of just means that this win only sort of further, um, further I guess, uh, kicks the can down the road and uh, really puts pressure on the Conservative Party to elect someone to be Prime Minister who's really pro-Brexit. Well, you mentioned that it puts uh, pressure on the party. Do we have any indication of who the next person might be to take on that role? Yeah, look, I, I think maybe a lot of people over in the US would have seen the kind of uh, British version of Trump, which is Boris Johnson, the guy with the funny blonde hair. He is uh, in many ways the favourite to take over. He's thrown his hat in the ring. But it's going to be quite a few months, um, and this actually plays out because it's the um, the base of the party um, get a chance to all vote on who becomes the next Tory party leader. So you've got um, Boris Johnson, and then you've got a, a, um, a huge cast um, of figures who are lining up to throw their hats in the ring. I think we've just gone past ten other people who have been um, who want to actually become the next Tory leader and therefore the next prime minister. But really, as we were talking about these issues and and, and about the election. The reason why it's so important is that um, now that Farage and the Brexit Party have shown that they can, you know, spell the end of the Conservatives if they don't get their act together, the next Tory leader has to be hard pro-Brexit. And that's what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. So you mentioned far hardcore Brexit, and I'd love to hear more about the far-right nationalist groups. You know, they did have some wins this weekend, but they didn't take on as many, they didn't get as many wins as we thought. Talk to us about what their impact is now and how powerful are they moving forward in this new post-election world? Yeah, look, I, I think that, you know, you can't ignore the fact that in some of the biggest countries in Europe, so let's talk about France, let's talk about Italy, let's talk about Hungary, we have these populist right-wing leaders who topped the vote count. Um, the most important one, or the most interesting one, really, is in Italy, where Matteo Salvini, who heads the Northern League, um, topped the vote there. And the reason why it's really interesting is because he runs a party that has been historically um, isolated in the North. Um, what was so interesting about the results in the weekend, it shows that his vote is actually starting to travel a bit further down south of the country. Um, uh, in France, Marine Le Pen, uh, who is the, the right-wing leader there, she topped the poll over Emmanuel Macron, who's in the centre, but it was kind of, I don't know, it wasn't really an overwhelming victory for her because her vote title was down uh, um, compared to last elections. But in Hungary, where Viktor Orban, um, kind of the leader that Donald Trump seems to mould himself on the most, 
Uh, he, you know, took out a huge majority, 52% of the vote um, for his Fidesz party. So what we have, um, as we were saying before, just kind of this fragmentation where people are moving from the centre and voting for those sort of centre-left, centre-right parties and they're pushing further to the right and sort of going home, whether it's, you know, um, pro-EU on one side or anti-EU on another. Well, Mark, thank you so much for walking us down that complicated path and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks and congratulations, congratulations on your first show. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. very much. Mark. Yeah. Well, listen, on that note, before we go to Fire Tweets, we want you to get us to know us a little better. The team put together this video. There will be a quiz later. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't Stick know if I can get the quiz. I don't know if I can get the quiz. Well, here it is. Take a look. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Zach Stafford and this is Alex Berg. And we are the new hosts of AM to DM on BuzzFeed News. I was living in Los Angeles and I was the editor-in-chief of The Advocate, an LGBTQ magazine. I was a journalist covering national news, women's issues, and LGBTQ culture. And this is a real homecoming moment for me. Before that, I was a supervising producer at am to dm and helped kicked off the show. So now I am back in front of the camera and I couldn't be more excited. I've arrived and I'm excited to get started. So one of my annoying hobbies is that I'm a big CrossFitter. I, I do some competitions with friends. You could find me at certain boxes at five in the morning. So I guess I am the stereotype, but that's my, my little secret hobby. My biggest hobby is that I play roller derby, which is basically rugby on roller skates. And some days it just feels real good to knock somebody down. So do you even lift, bruh? I am from Philadelphia. I did not study journalism at all in college. I am married. You will probably hear all kinds of things about my wife. I also used to run a catering business when I was a teenager, uh, so I can bake you a lot of things. I am a diehard Spice Girls fan. I believe that I have projected all of my full coming out issues onto Sporty Spice. I don't eat tomatoes. Even though I'm starting to like them, I refuse to eat them because I don't want my mom to be right. Long before I put on roller skates, I was actually a pretty serious gymnast. And the one surprising thing that people don't realize is that I've never lived in New York, and this is my very first time, even though I'm here a lot. So my dream guest would be Oprah Winfrey. We're both from Tennessee. Her dad actually used to cut my hair when I was a little kid. I do not remember it, it's something I've been told. I want to talk to her about coming from Tennessee and building this huge media dynasty, and did she ever see it coming? The 2020 candidates, freshman congresswomen, and the most amazing people like Lizzo and maybe even Cher, because they're fucking awesome. My favorite thing about getting to work with Zach is that he is such an incredible journalist in terms of covering LGBTQ people among so many other topics. My favorite thing about working with Alex Berg is that I get to work with her because I've been a long admirer of her work. I've been watching her since HuffPost Live and I've been watching her journalism over the years. So to be able to sit next to her every day and create work and tell stories is really exciting. He's also just really fun and it's just great to get to talk to him. It's such a fun time. One of the nerdiest things I do a lot is I will tell you the queer thing of anything that happens. So you'll mention some celebrity or some historical figure and I will tell you how they are queer because I really think everything is gay, even this camera. I grew up reading sci-fi. I really love interior decorating shows. Also, I love diving into different kinds of wonky policies and learning about them for myself. Person. You! I get to do this every day. Oh. A shoulder. A very good shoulder. Oh, very I'm strong. So glad. I'm so glad. Strong I in a very high you. fem way, too. I love that. Yes. I feel so seen from that. Yes, I'm so excited to co host with Zach. I'm also really excited to talk to some of the amazing people that are going to be coming through the doors of BuzzFeed. Everyone from pop culture icons I've really looked up to uh, to politicians. I think we're both really excited yeah. about getting into 2020 and yes. really holding some people accountable for what they've been yes. up to. So, what should they do next, Alex? Follow us on Twitter. I am at it's Alex Berg and you are at Zach Stafford. And what you do after that is you slide into our DMs and you can send us whatever you'd like. Well, I'll take whatever you'd like. Send him all your DMs. Uh, yeah, PG. <laughs> Fire! Fire! 
Welcome back. It is time for Fire Tweets, and we're just bringing it in with the smooth jazz hits. Yes. We got a little music revamp out here. I love the jazz. I'm going to play it when I go to bed. Yes. I can't stop working. Well, listen, we also see that you are weighing in on this fierce debate yes. over popsicles. I want to read this tweet from Mary Alice Carter, who's my buddy. Hey, Mary Alice, who says, Otter Pops because they had special otter characters. Oh, so it's like a branding thing. Interesting. Okay, I'll give you all that. All I right. Mean, but like, why do they brand in an otter? Otters don't eat. I, 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 it doesn't matter. We don't get it. We're moving on. This uh, debate will have to continue <laughs> to another day because it is time for our very first fire tweets. Are you ready to do this? I'm so ready. This is actually the most laborious thing <laughs> that you're trained to do here at the BuzzFeed News. Um, so I'm ready to see if I have it down. Okay. <laughs> well, with, without further ado, let's let's get into it. Okay. okay. Be tweeted, new freshman. Hi, where it orientation leaders at 7.22 a.m.? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like I am one of those orientation leaders. Well, I have you been were an orientation, orientation leader. leader. Yes, it's true. It is true. We've talked about this. So Alex was an orientation leader. I was a resident advisor. And I think those are two types of personalities. That means Alex is really cheerful in the morning, so she's going to say good morning every day. Every day. And I'll tell you where to get drunk. And not write you out for that. <laughs> there you go. Those are pretty much our personas. But if you ever text me with a question at 722, I will greet you. Hello, sunshine. Yes, and yes. I'll say what? what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to this next one. All right, tweet. let's go to the next one. Jackie tweeted. You ever get a where you at text and sit and decide where you at? I, <laughs> so when I first read this, I thought about yesterday, a new friend texted me, where are you? Uh, and I'm new to New York City, and I did not know where I was. So, you know, I'm going to start to figure out these streets, because these streets are complicated, even on this grid system. A friend was like, where are you at? And you were like, where, I like, am, I, I? am, I? where am, am I? Where am I at, York? actually? Don't know. Good I don't question. Know. But I do I know. know. But I do know it's referring to um, booty calls. All booty right. Calls, which, no, I never get those, moms, so don't freak out. <laughs> Bleh. Ugh. She's going to be so mad. I said that. <laughs> what about you? Um, you know, as a married person, mm -hmm. I haven't gotten a where you oh. at text. I think I've probably gotten a platonic one that was actually like, no, for real, where, where are you? Yeah, like, get yeah. home. Yeah. I'm hungry or yeah. something. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> All right, let's get to this next tweet. Twitterless Guru tweeted, me in my mid-20s telling people in their early 20s how they have to take advantage of their youth. Yes, please yes. let me impart yes. my wisdom on you, even though I am only two and a half years yes. older than you. 25 is your wisest year when you're 25. <laughs> That's it. When you're 25. When you're 25. Because 25-year-old me was like, oh, you 21-year-old, you don't know how to drink. You're buying Smirnoff vodka. Love yourself more. Don't buy cheap things. Personal growth. <laughs> Personal growth is not buying the cheap thing. It is hydrating properly. Yes, yes. Like out hydrating here, between drinks and all that and not blacking out. Really important not, things to know. Look, I'm out here drinking tea. So well, tea is delicious, life. all types of tea. <laughs> We're gonna go to our next tweet. We got it from Sun. We tweeted, so how's your summer body coming along? Me, this wonderful chiv. Oh my goodness, they're really rolling. Okay, I have to say that this is a real thing. I've okay. seen it on The Real Housewives. Okay. They freeze themselves and they all roll right. it out. I don't know if it works. Don't do it at home. Don't do it at home. But, you know, well, it's a thing. Here's what I would say. I would say all bodies are summer bodies. Yes. All bodies are ready for the beach. All bodies are good bodies. So yes. you do you. Yes, you live, live your, your life. life. Do what yes. you want to your and body. don't do that. Only roll out cookies <laughs> or bread. <laughs> Only roll out cookies. Yes, Share yes, them with yes, us. Yes. All right, are you ready for this tweet of the day? I am. We have to okay, do this together, right? Okay, okay. One, One, two, two three. <laughs> tweet of the day comes from Gabrielle. As a busy and modern career woman on the go, it's important for me to set aside time every day to sloppily eat a salad at my desk like a misbehaving horse. So I will be said misbehaving horse in two hours if you, <laughs> if you come to the BuzzFeed office. Same, as a modern and busy career woman, I like to shove salad in my mouth very quickly yes. at my desk as though it is requisite. Every single day. Yes, yes, yes. And I learned something new about Alex today that she actually used to do it on the subway. Oh my God, you're telling my secrets already. I will always spill the tea okay. when it's in a well, room listen, full of people. Well, listen, listen. Let me explain that I was so busy when I was living my freelance life that I would literally run from gig to gig and the only place that fair, I had time fair, to fair, eat fair. a salad was on a subway car. But Have pity on did me Did you think about the dressing? That. Was there like a dressing choice you made? There was. It was be a I mean, it was like a whole process uh -huh. because you also want to eat it in the most like clandestine, yeah. undercover way because you're like, I know, yeah. you know, I don't want to be grossing people out. Yeah. It's a whole thing. We'll get to know each other. I'll yes. tell you more about it. We'll give you salad on the subway <laughs> secrets on the next go. episode of AM to DM here on BuzzFeed News. All right, well, coming up, you get to see my sit down with comedians Bobby Moynihan and Patton Oswalt. But, uh, uh, but up next, we're going live from the district.
Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill correspondent Paul McLeod. Good morning, Paul. Hi, good morning. I just want to say off the top, congratulations, Zach and Alex, on your first day. And also congratulations to me, because I'm pretty sure this means technically I am opening for Patton Oswalt right now. Yes. <laughs> yes, you are. That is actually correct, and Patton's very excited for you to do that. He's a big fan, Paul, like I am. <laughs> ah, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> All right, to get us started, we're going to go to a tweet from Jennifer Bendery. Uh, a single GOP lawmaker, Chip Roy, blocked the passage of a $19 billion disaster aid package to send help to parts of the country hurt by flooding, earthquakes, and wildfires. It's already been delayed for months. Lawmakers have already left town for a 10-day recess. Paul, why did Chip Roy block the disaster aid bill? It seems incredibly important for many people. Yeah, and it's already been delayed for six months as Congress has been haggling uh, with, its, with each other and with the White House about what was going to go into this bill, and now it's delayed even further. So he, he cited two main justifications for blocking this bill. One was he said it was too expensive because it authorizes $19 billion in disaster aid, but doesn't uh, cut any spending or doesn't pay for that $19 billion anyway. He said that's not responsible. And then, <laughs> somewhat ironically, his second main complaint was that it did not contain more spending, $4.1 billion, for border security, which uh, Donald Trump had been pushing for, but did not get into the final bill. So you mentioned the amount of money that was for disaster relief. Tell us a little bit more. What was contained in this bill? Yeah, so it actually is a very large uh, suite of aid to a lot of different communities across the states. I mean, one thing that's got uh, a lot of attention, understandably, has been the aid to Puerto Rico, which has been uh, still uh, you know, suffering from like the devastating effects of Hurricane Maria back in 2017. Uh, badly needing aid there, this contains about $900 million for Puerto Rico, including $600 million for the SNAP program, so food stamps and things like that that are obviously badly needed. But it's a much bigger bill than that. I mean, this is basically any significant uh, forest fire, flooding, uh, tornadoes, I mean, any major issue that the U.S. has been hit with over the last two to three years, uh, this bill was meant to address it. So obviously there are a lot of communities out there, Republican and Democrat, that really want this funding. And Paul, this is incredibly important for us, for everyone. Will it be voted on again? Is there any way to salvage it uh, to, be, to come about for folks? Yeah, and so people are probably a little bit confused. If you haven't read about this, how can one person block an entire bill? And it just ha so happened that it came together so late in the week last week that the Senate passed this aid bill uh, late Thursday afternoon. And then Friday, the House had already left for the break week or for the long weekend. So there were very few people around. So they couldn't do a, a normal up and down vote with the entire House of Representatives. They tried to ask for unanimous consent, which is just everyone giving it the okay, and you can move it forward. And Chip Roy of Texas said no, he's refusing unanimous consent. So they are gonna try again. Uh, we expect them to try again today. And the question remains, is Chip Roy gonna show up and block it? Is some other Republican gonna show up and block it? Uh, we just don't know yet. We don't know if we're gonna have to wait a whole other week for the Congress to fully come back next, next Monday. All right, well, I guess we'll find out, but until then, we'll move on to another story. Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Facebook says it won't take down a doctored video of Nancy Pelosi that they know is fake. Paul, the video is fake and Facebook knows it's fake. Why are they allowing it to stay up? So they're kind of having it both ways here. They are on the one hand saying that, look, uh, this the conversation has changed around this video and now everyone knows it's fake. So now this is about a, a discussion about fake videos. And also they're saying like, look, we are gonna be notifying people. We're gonna be changing the algorithm so that it's not shared as widely. But clearly they don't wanna to go to the final step of taking this down. And I suspect that is because they do not want to set that precedent. I mean, these social media sites have been obviously very much struggling with what to do about hateful material, with malicious material, uh, and dishonest material. And they've drawn some hard lines around malicious material, inciting people to violence, things like that. Uh, but that is very expensive for them. Uh, it is a huge, a constant hassle for them. And I, I, my theory here is I just don't think Facebook wants to set this precedent so that every time someone edits a, a video of a politician, well, does that count as something that needs to be taken down? Or, okay, well, you didn't edit this video of Mitch McConnell, how come you, or you didn't take down this video, how come you took down the video of Nancy Pelosi, but not this one? It's just a fight that they do not want to take up. And so I think that's why they're washing their hands with this. 
And Paul, as you mentioned, there are various other videos that are fake and have been on Facebook for a long time. Mm. What made this video such a big deal for so many people over the weekend? Well, I, I think on, on a, a broader scale, people are becoming more and more concerned with the issue of deep fakes and what that is going to mean for how we can trust the authenticity of anything we see with our own eyes. Now, this was not a deep fake video. This was a fairly uh, basically edited video. But also, this was shared by Rudy Giuliani, a, a, a different video, not quite the same one, but it was shared by Donald Trump himself. I mean, so you've got people, like major political actors now, sharing this misinformation about their opponent. And Giuliani even referred to apologize and said, like, well, how, how was I supposed to know? I saw it on Facebook and I shared it. How was I supposed to know it was fake? Which exactly gets to the heart of the issue. And so it's really laid bare this problem of hold on, where do we go from here? Can we really set this precedent where we're just sharing wildly edited, wildly dishonest videos about our political opponents? Like, can we have, can we draw a line somewhere where at least we can like believe things we are seeing with our own eyes? Because most people obviously can't feel like they can't trust the things that politicians are saying. So I think that has all come together to crystallize to, uh, it was a story that a lot of people have very understandable concerns about because really, if, if we don't start raising, pushing back, let's say, we don't start pushing back against some of this at this point, I mean, where, where are we going to be in five years from now when the technology is so much more sophisticated? Ooh, this sounds like a dystopic political future. It's a lot. Paul. I'm stressed. <laughs> this is going to be a lot. Well, thank you so much for walking. Get used to it. This is what I do. I come in and ruin your days. All right. Oh, I'm ready. God. I, we're ready for you to ruin our day, Paul. It's going to be great. And we look forward to our own T-shirts with faces on it. I don't know whose face you're going to have on it. But, you know, we look forward to see who you choose. I'll think of something. (laughs) I'll think of something. Thank you for joining us, Paul. Cheers. (laughs) Bye. Up next, you'll see my sit-down with Bobby Moynihan and Patton Oswalt. And later in the show, Alex sits down with her personal legend and hero, Patty Smith. Indeed. So excited for that. I can't wait. Can't (laughs) wait. Stay tuned, y'all. I'm so excited for today's sit-down. I've got two comedy greats joining me, and I'd like to welcome Patton Oswalt and Bobby Moynihan. How are y'all? How are you, man? Thanks for having us, man. Thank you for having us. Thank you for being on my first, you know, sit-down. You know, it's my first day on the job, so hopefully... Really? Yes. Don't get me fired. This is your launch. This is my launch. Are you getting a lot of hazing? I am. Someone told me my makeup was cheap earlier. (laughs) Yeah, I swear. Someone was like, your makeup is cheap. I won't say who. They used to host, but (laughs) they said my makeup was cheap. Have Have they jumped you in yet? What was that? Have they jumped you they in jump? yet? What does that mean? They'll, they'll just start pounding. It's like 30 way. seconds. You got to like really. You can either choose to get jumped yeah. in. Yeah. Oh, so is that how, you know, the beginning of this film started for you two? Um, when he joined, we yeah. beat him up. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you're new when to I got the show. I am the new to the crew. Yes. <laughs> so you were jumped so I did, in by I did Bobby. my 30 seconds. Well, it was Bobby Lake. Lake Bell. She's, yeah, a, Lake, she's a bruiser. Who I, you know, she denies it. I think she put a rock in her hand. She did. She had a sock full of nickels. Well, let's jump into the film. I know it's your first time in it. It's incredibly successful. You were in the first one. Yes. Um, and the film this time is about conquering, uh, you know, using fear to conquer what's in front of you. Yes. What was so scary about doing an animated film, especially your first time in this series, but your second time? For me, it was the traffic on the way there. <laughs> There's nothing scary about doing uh, this this film. It's absolutely wonderful. All the people involved are super great, and the message is wonderful, and we get to play lots of silly animals. So. Yeah, the only scary thing for me was I was uh, trying not to eat too many salty snacks at the voiceover place so that I wouldn't get that weird raspy gargle in my voice. The, <laughs> the director was so fun to work with. He was like the most mellow, cool guy, and he was great. So Was it wow. important to you to do a kid's film for your own kids? I mean, I've done like kids' films before, and, but although the, all the ones that I've done, like when I did Ratatouille, when I did Teen Titans Go, and especially this one, it's more of a... It's a very, very adult film that kids can like. And there's all kinds of like cool, sneaky stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if parents are taking their kids or just going by themselves, there's stuff where you're like, oh, I can't believe they got away. Oh, that's really cool. There's really, you know, it has that. It's hard to call it a kid's movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, it was like um, uh, Into the Spider-Verse. My wife and I ended up seeing that more than our daughter did. Really? <laughs> we were so much more into that. And she loved it. But we're like, if you don't want to go, I, we've yeah. seen it three times now. Wow, like in the theaters? Like, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, Are they and, noticing you now? They're like, hey, Patton, you're back that, for Spider-Man? Um, <laughs> they're familiar with me at a lot of theaters. Yeah. So let's put it that way. That's yeah. amazing. Oh. I yeah. feel like that meant something else, too. No, it didn't. Okay. You know, because <laughs> no, started just off a movie like, fan. Just a movie fan. Big it's movie buff. It's his first thing. Yeah. It's his first thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so tell me about working with the cast. You know, there's incredible people in it, from Tiffany Haddish to yourselves. What was it like dealing, working with so many incredible people? Well, 
it's bittersweet because the cast is so good. It, you know, it's Bobby and 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 uh, Lake and Tiffany and uh, Jenny Slade, but we never got to do, we never recorded together. Okay. We were always recording separately, but, you know, because I'm fans of all these guys, you could kind of think in your head how they would be performing some of these uh, lines and, and scenes so that it would it would help your performance, definitely. Yeah, I've known Jenny for years, so, you know, the scenes that you have with other people, you can kind of, figure out what they're going to do and stuff. but And then we get to do this and hang out with them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hang out with me on my first day. Correct, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know Harrison Ford, but I'm such a huge fan that imagining being in a scene with him was very, it was very easy to be <laughs> intimidated, which is what my dog is with his dog character. Really? Yeah, my dog acts towards his dog the way that I would act towards Harrison Ford. <laughs> wow. Very, like, Have nervous and, oh, my God. Yet? No, he doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> it's your first time. And also, like, that's a weird way to phrase it. Hey, Harrison, my dog to your dog is the same as me to you. Hey, you know what's weird is my fake dog acts exactly like me. <laughs> it's the first, yeah, it's the last thing he wants to talk to. All right, that, Oh, my gosh. So, that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> so when you're working with all these people, it, when do you finally meet them? Is it on the, the junkets? On the junkets. Well, I mean, I've known Bobby for... Yeah, we, 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 you know, we, we all know each other. You're all but, fans and you all meet yeah. each other and you all say hi. And then there's always the moment where you go, hey, great to meet you. And they go, we've met and go, yeah. awesome. Okay, good, yeah. <laughs> there's, that, there's that element too. Yeah. Like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> when you're on your 18th interview and you don't even know your name anymore. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're reintroducing yourself to someone you just sat on a panel with for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do a speed round with you because uh, we want to get your, uh, your thoughts on a few questions. Are you ready for these? You're going to just sure. answer really quickly. I'm going to throw something at you. All right, hang on. First. White and you paper. both answer at the same Hang time. On. White paper. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. your favorite animated film growing up? Lion Dumbo. King. Lion King Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Lion King Dumbo, great film. Wow. <laughs> it's really bleak and really <laughs> terrible. Oh, really it takes scary. a weird turn at the end. But look, you learn about nature, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> All right, the next one, and we can have you answer one at a time this time. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Okay, who makes you laugh, Bobby? Everyone. Everyone? Yeah. <laughs> That's the most vague answer ever. I disagree. I think it's very, it's true street, though. Do you walk Everyone. down the streets of New York? Yeah, laughing? every human being yeah. makes me laugh. I'm a real easy target. <laughs> if I had to choose Bill Murray but <laughs> or, or Chris Farley, but other than that, yeah, literally every human being. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about fellow comedians, um, uh, Anthony Jeselnik and uh, Dave Attell, in terms of just sitting there and laughing my head off to the point where I'm, I have a headache, those two. Okay. And they're part of everyone. They really are. Yeah. They are part of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit of Anthony Jeselnik in, in all of them. <laughs> that, wow. That's true. Yeah. Okay, I need to find my part of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the best dad joke you've ever heard? Best dad joke? Yeah. Oh, God. Our first one that comes to mind. Why did the cookie go to the hospital? Why did the cookie? feeling crummy. Oh, that's good. What do you call a fish with no eyes? A fish. <laughs> <laughs> Like with a grammar. It's the worst dad joke ever. Oh my okay, my final question. Oh my question. God. Right. <laughs> Who are your favorite Twitter people? Are your favorite Twitter person? Oh, my, oh mm. I like the idea. I just like, I want to write a movie called Twitter People. Twitter People. <laughs> <laughs> There's something very ominous about that. Yeah, they're coming. They're, they're coming. they're coming. They have comments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're gonna tag you. <laughs> <They're> gonna... <laughs> um, it's that's the tagline. There's a. Uh, there's a. Oh god. <laughs> I'm trying to think. So many people I really really like on oh, Twitter. T- George Wallace. Yeah, might be know, might be the funniest human being George in the world Wallace, on Twitter. <laughs> Mr. Yeah, not the not the governor, the comedian, Mr. Yeah. George Wallace. <laughs> probably. I think so. Yeah, he's might amazing. Be my favorite. Okay, you weren't gonna say each other. Is we that? don't follow each other on Twitter. Also, I don't, I'm not very... <laughs> I thought you were going to take the easy route, be like Patton. The Twitter people would yeah. come to get me because I'm not it, one of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I can't really... Yeah, and then I would feel weird, like, wait a minute, is that another cross-promote? Am I supposed to go to his feed and there's something... But Mr. George, Mr. George Wallace is... I think really one of the funniest. Yeah. Is there a tweet that sticks out to you he's given... Uh, oh, what, one of the ones he sent out was, um, I can never play, this is so stupid, I don't know why I laughed so hard at this, I can never play whack-a-mole, because it reminds me of the time my family was attacked by moles and I didn't have a hammer. <laughs> I like, the, my favorite one was, uh, shout out to all the, shout out to all the great coat factories, especially Burlington. <laughs> That's incredible. 
Well, thank you so much for that. I'm thank you. I really think <laughs> today. I love him. Oh, God. Yeah, he's so great. Yeah. Well, Bobby Patton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's really enjoyed to have you. Thank you. Yo, congratulations yeah. to both of you. Welcome thank you. to your new job. Thank you. Yeah. I'm here. New job. New job. You've always been oh, the Oh, my gosh. Here. Well, the secret lives. He was fired. He was fired. <laughs> the I secret lives of pets uh, to hit theaters June 7th. Up next, there's more ANTDM. Twitter again. I'm so excited to be back with you with, on my very first Drama Queen segment. And joining us on the couch today is the star of the Broadway show, Ain't Too Proud. First time Tony nominee Derek Baskin. Hey, man. How are you? Oh, man, I'm great. Thanks for having me. How does it feel to be introduced as a Tony nominee? It's still, I'm still kind of getting used to it. It kind of feels like foreign. You know, like you're hearing yeah. Chinese or something. <laughs> but, you're uh, like, who, me? Who, me? <laughs> Little old me? Tony nominee? It's crazy, yeah. man. But it's, um, I'm so excited, man. Yeah. And it's, it's exciting, a very exciting time. And, and it's kind of like a dream that, you know, you didn't know what would happen, you yeah. know, but it actually came true. And so I'm yeah. kind of beside myself. What did it feel like getting that pin? Because if folks can't tell, this pin on his lapel is a Tony nomination. Pin, Tony nominee pin. Which I did not know you got. When uh, yeah. You so, okay. So the day after nominations, you do a press junket. Okay. And uh, before you start your press junket, uh, they pin you mm-hmm. right there. You know, it's not a huge ceremony or anything, yeah. but like, it's really cool. That's great. That's yeah. great. So the show has been celebrated so widely and I did get to see it this weekend. Oh, thanks for What's coming. it been like to see this huge reaction from it? Because I have to share with you, I was sitting in the audience and I'd never seen a crowd sing along as much as this crowd sang along. People were really feeling every part of what you all were doing. Yeah, well, you know, for a large part of our audience, you know, these people grew up with the music, you know, so they're kind of reliving their youth, they're reliving their memories, Mm -hmm. and we get to feel that every night. And, um, you know, to that kind of reaction, you know, it's kind of built into our story because Mm -hmm. we're telling the story of the 50s and the 60s, and people who are coming to the show, they grew up and they were young, they were teenagers in that time, during that time, and, uh, you know, the reaction from them, and also from, like, kids who had never seen The Temptations, who yeah. didn't really know the music, and who are getting a really uh, kind of a really good history lesson, mm-hmm. uh, they're really like pleasantly surprised too. And so the both reactions from both groups, um, you know, it's just been kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. And The Temptations themselves were mind-blowing. I want to read oh, a man. few numbers off to you that yeah. I learned as I was doing prep for the show. So, you know, they had 42 top 10 hits seven Grammys, but the number that stood out to me the most is that since 1963, there have been 24 temptations. Isn't that crazy? And the group has been through so much, you know, drugs, suicide, a lot of hurdles. What was it like navigating that with this brotherhood that you all have created? Because as I was sitting in the audience, you all were going through some incredible things. Yeah, well, you know, it's a really uh, heavy story, and what we're trying to do is kind of humanize these icons, Mm -hmm. you know? These men are, you know, you have uh, 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 you know the groups that you follow. You know, yeah. and you 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 know you don't know you only know the broad strokes. But we kind of like kind of dive in and to tell all of the layers of these men and to dive in to do it with these four gentlemen that I do it mm-hmm. with. Uh, it's just an honor and it's a blessing. You know, yeah. we're friends in real life, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we got together and said we want to really tell this story respectfully. We want to show it with honor, and um, and we want to honor these men that we're playing. Yeah. And um, in order to do that, we have to uh, allow the work to speak for itself. So we just kind of have to show up to uh, the words that Dominique Morisot, that she mm-hmm. wrote. Um, and if we do that, if we honor the story, then we're honoring their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just been such a great journey. Yeah, and one of yeah. the most incredible parts about watching the show as a black person is when I saw a theater filled with black folks watching yeah. the show, which is incredible. So first, what was it like to, to see that happen on you Broadway? Know, we like to see ourselves on stage. Mm-hmm. You know, representation really does matter. And this show has five black male leads. Which is incredible. And it's extremely rare. And it, I, I can't tell you the last time mm-hmm. there's been five black male leads telling a black story. Yeah. Um, usually it's either me or someone else on that stage that I'm sharing with that's yeah. in the show. And, um, you know, the diversity that we have on the show, the 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 amount of pride that we have telling this mm-hmm. black story, um, the story that touches not just black people, but white people as yes. well. Um, you know, it's just, it's important mm-hmm. um, for other young black artists to see that you can lead a show, yeah. other black artists in that. I can be a principal, I don't have to be the token black person in a Broadway show. Yeah. Um, 
that's what we're doing. That's the story that yeah. we're telling. And yeah. it's just, I have so much pride that I'm part of a show that other black, young black artists can say, that can be me. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it really is a blessing because I didn't have that much, uh, that many opportunities seeing that myself growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few. Um, like, you know, Lion King came out years yeah. ago and to see all those um, black principles was amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these these shows are far and few between. Yes. Um, and so it's just such a tremendous blessing and opportunity, uh, uh, a challenge that I take on and I'm portraying this honorable man mm-hmm. so that a young black person can yeah. see that I can be a lead in the show. Yeah, and people have been so excited to see you do that every day, mm-hmm. uh, including Miss Oprah Winfrey. Man. What is, you all have become friends and you have a name for her. What is Well, I call her Auntie Oprah. Auntie Oprah. Aunt. <laughs> <laughs> so you're family with Oprah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's one of my favorite aunts. I have really good aunts. Let me first say Okay, that. I'm sure they're uh, watching. They, they are upset. watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, she came to the show and she was just so excited mm-hmm. uh, to see the show. She, you know, she grew up with Motown music and uh, she knows the Temptations music and so she was just you know she was just like so giddy when really? she came backstage <laughs> and then it made us giddy yeah. and you what's know, it she, like to have Oprah giddy over you because that's a very rare thing someone experiences you know you're kind of uh, a bit you know surprised you're kind of overwhelmed <laughs> you're like this lady like really likes me yeah. she likes what I'm doing so you kind of have to like get over that hump first yeah. and then you're just like this is really cool yeah. you know Oprah Winfrey loves our show. Yes. This is kind of crazy. Yes. And then you kind of just ride that wave. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. well, thank you for sharing that tidbit. And I'm, we've run out of time. <laughs> oh, really man. About, oh, I can talk to you about this every day. And one thing before I let you go, I yeah. wanted to ask you, what was it like training for the show? Because when you were running on stage, what folks should know, there is a treadmill on stage yeah. that he runs a, a good mile on yeah. like, for a while. So how was the prep for that? Well, you know, it was hard, man. <laughs> it was hard. I was a bit soft around the edges, yeah. I will have to say. And I had to kind of slim down. I had to watch what I was eating. I had to get a trainer yeah. and kind of build up my stamina for all of that. Because mm-hmm. it's a long show. I don't leave the stage. Yeah, and on. so, you know, it's a lot to carry. In order to do that, I have to watch what I eat. And I have to run on a, a, an actual treadmill. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you will not need to sit on an actual treadmill to watch this show. So thank you so much for sharing the story with us. And best of luck to you on Tony Night. Thank Folks, you. go out and see Ain't Too Proud, The Life of the Times of the Temptations at the Imperial Theater. Next week, we'll continue our Drama Queen segment with two more Tony nominees from Broadway's Oklahoma. But up next is Alex Sit Down with the one and only Patti Smith. BuzzFeed Books partnered with New York City's Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment to launch the One Book, One New York program to get us all reading the same book, Just Kids. And here to talk about it is the author, the legend, Patti Smith. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I want to get right into talking about this book. New Yorkers voted among a couple of different books, and Just Kids came out the winner. Did you expect it to resonate so widely nearly a decade after it was published? Really, I just, um, Robert asked me to write it uh, the night before he died. And my first, I just wanted to be able to, um, uh, to complete my vow to him that I would. And I really wrote it for him. And it was I was hoping that it might spread, maybe have a small cult following, um, but I never expected it to, um, to do so well, to resonate, to be in 45 languages. It's, um, it's, it's just been a life-changing experience. Mm. Well, for those who haven't yet read the book, it of course documents when you met Robert. Um, what do you hope new readers take away from the book and just about the message of friendship within it? Well, I mean, I, Robert and I both wanted to be artists. We were artists. Robert, we were both 20, struggling. Um, I, I think that uh, liked people to see, you know, the, the sacrifices, mm. the struggle, and, um, and everything that one has to, the, uh, the work ethic that it takes in order to be an artist. Um, it, it's, it's hard work. It requires discipline and sacrifice and... And which Robert, he had a tremendous work ethic. I'm hoping people will see that, see what he had to, um, all the things that he had to shed uh, to give up to be an artist. Mm. But also um, him as a human being, caring, uh, very kind, a great sense of humor, uh, romantic, and, um, but with a, a lot of self-confidence 
but um, a, a great and loving lifetime, loving friend. I still feel his friendship, and he died 30 years ago, yet I feel all the things that he gave me every day. Mm, I can really hear that when you're talking about him and just the fullness of your friendship and, and how well you knew him. Um, of course, in addition to Just Kids, you have another memoir, M Train. Are there any other periods of time in your life that you're thinking you also want to tackle via memoir or other kinds of writing? Well, it's very funny. I just finished one, uh, which will be out in a couple months, which basically ta tackles the year 2016, Woo! <laughs> um, I, which was for me quite a year. I mean, of course, it was the year of the election. I turned 70. Um, I had a, a personal losses of great mm. friends. So it was a challenging year. And it, 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 um, so it's a very specific time period. Um, but I'm already starting on my next book that um, is really almost like a sister to Just yeah. Kids, but it'll um, be more from my own point of view. And uh, a lot will uh, focus on childhood and, um, and also the evolution of uh, myself as a performer and then a wife and mother. Well, you mentioned 2016, and actually your album Horses came out a year after Nixon resigned. Yes. How, how have great moments of political tumult and unrest impacted your work? Well, sometimes uh, negatively because I felt when I was younger, um, guilt and, and um, shame about the Vietnam War made it very hard for me to work. And it was really Robert who counseled me that we have to do our work no matter what is happening around us because that's what our destiny is. And um, uh, so I've tried to work despite some of the things that is happening around us, but also be engaged when we have to speak out. Uh, when um, the Bush administration went into Iraq, we did Radio Baghdad. Um, I, a lot of my work will um, be a reaction to what's happening around us. Uh, the new work um, that's coming out really reflects what happened in 2016 in terms of our re of the election and um, and and that whole year. So um, you know, I I make certain that I speak out when it's necessary, but I also don't want to be um, you know buried under an avalanche of uh, things that are happening around me. Mm. You have to find a good balance, unless you're a political writer or that's, that's your beat. But in terms of my own work, I have to maintain a sense of self as well as being aware of the needs around me. Mm. There's uh, an anecdote of where Just Kids takes its title from when you are both in the park and someone <laughs> comes by, somebody takes a picture, right? And some guy is like, oh, you know, they're, they're just kids, don't bother with them. <laughs> but I actually find that to be uh, such a good story that we can kind of apply to this moment, right? Just Kids, well, right now it's a moment where so many young people yes. have really been activated. Uh, are there any young people or social movements that you're looking oh, to and feeling inspired absolutely. by? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm... Uh, I'm really in awe and supportive of uh, the new guard. Always, each generation translates the world for themselves and reacts in, uh, um, in, in a certain way. And I'm looking at like Greta Thunberg, who's you know, 15, now 16 years old, who is um, developing a global, developing global climate action. And of course, the Parkland Five, they did so much that uh, their, um, their, their rally against uh, gun violence um, was, you know, breathtaking, and I watch what they do. Our young are leading us. My daughter has a climate change um, uh, a nonprofit, and she works tirelessly um, uh, for, to, um, to stop the use of fossil fuels, the dependency of fossil fuels. I mean, I'm just um, grateful for uh, for our young people, they're the hope of the world. So I'm inspired by them. The the younger people in the House of Repre Representatives, there's um, the the diversity, um, and we we have to give them a chance. We have to give them a chance, and if they if they are flawed or make mistakes, then be there to help them and continue on because they they really have 
beautiful visions of the future. Mm. Well, kind of in line with that, something you've spoken about is the democratization of social movements via the internet. And one platform I also want to talk about is Instagram, uh, because you yourself have tapped into this medium. We actually have a tweet from Emma Swift who said, following Patti Smith's world on Instagram brings me so much joy. Her posts are full of poetry and wonder and art. And today, Keanu Reeves. Look at that with Keanu Reeves. Look at how happy she is. Seriously, she's the only influencer I'll ever need. You seem to be having a lot of fun on Instagram. Well, uh, it was my daughter who um, showed me how to, um, to work on Instagram and set up my account for me. I like it because I have, uh, I'm not very technological and uh, it allows me to um, do it myself. And it gives me a forum to talk about you know, in a small form to talk about things aesthetically, culturally, sometimes politically, sometimes for fun, and uh, just have a, you know, a, um, an instant uh, sense of uh, being connected with people globally. Uh, and um, and I, 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 I work hard on it. I think about it every day. I think about okay. these people and see certain things I think they'll like or that a book that might interest them. So I have to say it's been, uh, it's been a happy format for me. Do you ever think about what Robert Maplethorpe might think of you deciding to go into the visual medium? Oh, no, because we met as artists. I actually took photographs before Robert did, and uh, not on any level of Robert, but I've always been a visual artist. I, when I met him, I was writing poetry, and uh, so he wouldn't be surprised. He would just probably be pushing me to do more. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks. And hello, everybody, wherever, <laughs> wherever you are. <laughs> Keep following on Instagram and all that good stuff. Well, listen, you can pick up your copy of Just Kids wherever books are sold. New Yorkers, you can join the conversation using the hashtag OneBook1NY and sign up for the BuzzFeed Book Club. Up next, we're reading your tweets. Thank you so much for winding it down with the smooth jazz hits over here, you know? I'm into it. Uh, I love it. It's a perfect way to end our <laughs> very is. first show. I had such an amazing show with you. Wait, yes, happened. we did it. We did it. We got through it. We did. <laughs> Alive, too. Yeah, and now we're going to hear from you, which is probably one of my most favorite parts of the whole show. Me too, me yeah. too. All right. So Danielle tweeted this after Alex to sit down with Patti Smith. What a great segment. The legend with the legend Patti Smith about her great book. Agreed. I was very proud back there. I got to be in the control room and watch you go. You. And I was also like, is she going to scream? Is she going to freak out? <laughs> I was like, keep it calm, cool, and collected I'm under like, here. I yeah. am a professional. I do not freak out about these things. Yes, exactly. I mean, if you haven't read the book, it is such a good book. Uh, it really resonated with me. I've been a long fan of all of her mm -hmm. music. Uh, so wonderful. Highly wonderful recommend. Artists. Highly get, recommend getting into it. Um, Nick, you tweeted, OMG, Derek is wearing Zach's shirt. <laughs> great minds. It is a great shirt. It is such a funny shirt. I just bought that shirt and I've worn it once, which you all have seen. And then Derek got on set and everyone was like whispering to me, like, Derek's wearing a shirt. We think we think he's wearing a shirt. They said that and I was like, yeah, I guess for our skin tone, it looks really, really wonderful, maybe? Yeah. His stylist picked his eye. I, I mean, mine. it's a great shirt, okay? Thank you. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> so we asked what to do, uh, what do you call these eyes pops? Betty Belafonte says, freeze pops. The colors okay. are red, blue, green, orange, pink, and grape. <gasps> Freeze pops are acceptable. I agree. I, I, freeze gonna, pop is I think that's a good middle ground for us. I'm not calling it a popsicle, though. <laughs> wow. Well, we'll be back here tomorrow. But first, yes. I want to say thank you to our guests, Mark DiStefano, Paul McLeod, Bobby Moynihan, Patton Oswalt, Derek Baskin, and Patty Smith. And we'll be right here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. I'm so shook. Shook. I'm like popsicle. Okay. I'm sorry. We're going to fight it out now. All right. <laughs>